You're listening to River Church Podcast. To learn more about River Church or to support us financially, please visit us online at rivercolumbia.com. We hope that you enjoy this week's message. All right, Revelation 3, like Tejun just read. Beautiful, beautiful letter. You guys been enjoying going through these letters? been really really helpful i want to remind us of just something that the spirit's been speaking to over the past uh i guess it's over a month now but just for all of us that the holy spirit wants to uh lift our heads and like widen our perspective of of christ and his kingdom um so many of you guys how many of you guys have been following jesus for over five years raise your hand wow how many guys have been following jesus for over 10 years raise your hand right it's beautiful it's beautiful i think um this letter I'm not going to say it's the one that applies the most to us, as I, as I said last week, but I literally could make a case for that literally every single week, that this letter that we're reading, like this one applies the most to us right here, this one right here. So why not? This one applies the most to us. Things changed last week, you know? Um, it's a new day. Yeah, exactly. We repented last week. We came into a new place, a new posture this week, and this one applies the most. But in all seriousness, um, so much of what Jesus has to teach us and so much of what the Spirit is uh, speaking through this letter, I think, has a lot to do with the fact that most of us in this room, not all of us, but most of us, as you just saw, have been following Jesus for over five years. That's a long, that's a long time, relatively speaking, you know, and just... To, to hold that up to a little bit of what we see in the scriptures, uh, the disciples had, had three years with Jesus, and then he just was like, all right, you guys got it, see ya. You know? Like, that, he was their primary shepherd, you know? Like, how many of you guys are in house churches? Raise your hand. All right, so your house church leader has been with you maybe close to three years now. Some of you guys more than three years and your primary shepherd on earth. That was the disciples primary shepherd on earth. Yes, he's the great shepherd of all of us. But on their on the earth, primary shepherd, he's like, all right, well, you guys got it now. And he literally leaves, you know. And so I just I, I think the Holy Spirit in I know I, I, I know with all of my uh, with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is desiring to and in the midst of convicting us. Not only of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but specifically of righteousness, the fact that you are his representative on the earth. Again, I'm not trying to like, be funny or anything, but raise your hand again if you've been following Jesus for over five years. Wow. Raise your, raise your hand if you've been following Jesus for like a year. All right, that's great. That's awesome. It, like, you know, I'm not like, you know, measuring things and there really isn't like one, there isn't like one objective timetable, you know what I mean? But what we can do is be attentive to the Holy Spirit, what's he, what he's doing in our midst and in our family and in our house. Um, and so much of what Jesus has to say here applies to right now. Everything applies to right now, but there's something to going out in his name. Let's read this together again, the first little verse, and to the angel, and to the angel, the angel, woof, that's a new one. Anybody got an interpretation for that? Thanks, Matt. <clears throat> if there's anybody who listens to our podcast who's never been to River and they just hear me like make horrible jokes and just rely on you, they're probably like, who's this Matt guy? Because we need to... We need to make sure he doesn't laugh at these horrible jokes. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. This opening title of Jesus is so important um, for us. A lot of times we hear 
Um, you know, maybe if you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, that doesn't, the, the, the name David might not mean too much to you. But the fact that Jesus came and called himself the son of David and then is seen as, especially in the gospel of Luke, the fulfillment of the promises to King David is a massive deal. It is massive because one of many places that prophesied about, one of many prophets that prophesied about the king to come from David's line was Jeremiah. And he said, behold, the days are coming that I'll raise to David a branch of righteousness and a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Jeremiah is prophesying this in the middle of exile, in the middle of Israel being taken captive by Babylon. And he's prophesying about a new day to come where God's going to raise up a savior, a Messiah. What most people thought was just a physical king. And Jeremiah, many other places in the scriptures, Micah 5 But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Um, Luke 1 is where this kind of like, uh, the the angel, um, Gabriel, actually declares this uh, to Joseph and uh, Mary when they're getting ready to like have Jesus. And he's prophesying about him. Just imagine, by the way, an angel named Gabriel, showing up and telling you about what your kid's destiny is going to be, really happened. He says, he'll be great and he'll be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Joseph, Jesus' dad of the line of David. And so Joseph and a, a Jew in that day would know what that means, the line of David. It's the same reason why when Jesus was talking about the Sabbath and he calls himself the son of David that a bunch of Pharisees just absolutely lost it and got angry with him is because he's claiming to be the Messiah to come. That name, that phrase, son of David. And so this opening title here is so significant. Um, These prophecies about the son of David that would come. David did his best. The King David did his best to unify Israel, but he was faulty and his sons, many of them were faulty. But the, the prophecy about his son to come, the Messiah to come, was that he would have a kingdom and he would rule forever. And of that kingdom, there would be no end. I think it's good just to, before we jump deeper into this, to note and remember that Jesus is king. It's an election year. Not, that's not why it's good to remember that Jesus is king, but it is an election year. And you do need to remember, if you call yourself a believer, you belong to a government that reigns above every other government. And that's not hyperbole. That's not uh, like allegorical language. That's the spiritual reality that you have been plucked from the pit of death, the ruler of sin and darkness. You now call Jesus Lord of Lord, King of Kings, and he is the king that rules our government, of which, as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9, there will be no end. His government. It's sovereign over all the rest. One day, all of the kings, presidents, whatever the word is to describe a political ideology's supreme ruler, all of them will bow their knee to Jesus, whether in willing submission or in mourning submission. That's the promises in Philippians 2. That's the promises throughout Revelation. This is the reality. And Jesus is just a king that does things differently. He didn't come to earth and then demand that every king come under his lordship. He came and gave himself to every king, and not only every king, but every nation and every human. And so now he waits, he longs for, the father grants people to come to him. We'll read this in a little bit, but Peter talks about it like the father doesn't want anybody to perish and he's long suffering so that many will be saved. He's the king. 
Just because his sovereign rule, his physical rule isn't noticed by everybody or isn't realized by everybody doesn't change the fact that he's king. It actually exalts his glory. It actually exalts his kingship because he's a king unlike any other. He doesn't force people to follow him. He doesn't force everybody to get with the program. He keeps giving himself. He keeps sending his spirit. He keeps sending his servants. He keeps sending his church into his world to bring people into his kingdom before he once and for all judges the world. He's the king. Goes on uh, in this and he says, as he says to a lot of the churches here in uh, present day Asia, he says to them, hey, I know your works. And I just want to remind us that Jesus, the, 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 the message of the gospel, we'll get back into the covenants one day, like a year or two ago, we went through the covenants of the scripture, of the scriptures, the different covenants that God's made with man. But the, the first covenant, one of the first covenants um, in Genesis is that God has like desired to co-labor. The best word to describe it is that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the beginning and the end, has created earth and he's created humanity to dwell on earth, to rule and reign over his creation, to co-labor with him. Very simple, beautiful uh, covenant that God doesn't desire to rule and reign over us in a demanding fashion, but he desires to come right next to us He makes mankind, puts them in the garden and says rule and reign to come right next to us, to have fellowship with us because his heart is after that. And that we would fulfill our call to rule and reign with him. Another way to say this rule and reign, these words in the Hebrew language is basically co-labor. That we would co-labor with him as tenants, as servants in his good earth, in his vineyard, we would steward it. And so for the beginning of the scriptures all the way through Jesus's time, this idea of work is not this work is not a punishment. Work is the work is a blessing. It, it like speaks to the fact that you were made in God, God's image to fill the world with fruit. You have a creative power within you. You have a, a, a driving force within you. The only thing that made work any bit of not a blessing was the curse. You had to work for everything you had instead of living in what God gave you. And so Jesus, to all these churches, he just says, I know your works. And I think it's so comforting just for all of you guys who have been following Jesus for some time. And maybe just in this past season of life. And, you know, I don't know what this past season of life means, but you're really starting to like be a witness for the Lord in the earth. Like really, truly starting to be an ambassador for Christ in your family, in the earth, in your workplace. Like literally talking about Jesus, trying to serve people, trying to love people, trying to heal people, trying to cast out demons. The whole nine yards, you're actually trying to do that. And I think it's so important that you hear Jesus say, I know your work so that you don't hunger for somebody else to know your works. Um, you know, we have like a, a, a really, really beautiful family. Like the Lord's just graced this like body of people with so many beautiful shepherds, so many beautiful followers of Jesus, so many great friendships that are centered around Jesus. And it's amazing and it's awesome. But something that we have to make sure our heart stays alive to is the fact that Jesus sees everything we do and he knows our works. And that is just so amazing, so exciting. It like fills my heart with peace and it satisfies every bit of the orphan in all of our hearts that needs to be recognized for what we do. One of the things that destroys moves and works of God, destroys it, derails it, hinders it, is people starting to want to, 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 to have other people recognize what God's doing in them. And I, like... Just Jesus says, I know your works. 
He later talks about the synagogue of Satan, which again, we'll get to here in a moment. And he says, basically, don't worry about them. I'll make them come and worship at your feet. And all they're going to know is that I loved you. They're not going to know how well you do things. They're not going to know how disciplined you've been. They're not going to know how you got your theology straight and you're just, you've been such a better student of the word than them. They're just going to know that I loved you. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Jay was prophesying about this this morning. I mean, and it's not like it took another person prophesying about it, but praise God he did. But the Lord is sending us out. Um, I don't want to go too deep into right now the like uh, beginning years. I don't think it's a day to really testify of like the beginning years of River, but I do want to speak to a couple of things and just to kind of put into perspective like where we find ourselves. Again, if you're like, you know, here for the first time, all that kind of stuff, like I hope, I hope you stick around and follow Jesus. Um, but I, I want to speak to the heart of our family right now. The first couple of years, uh, we started River. I was an, a pastor at New Spring, came out of New Spring, felt the Lord call me out of New Spring, you know, submitted that to the leadership, stayed there for another year, and then was given permission to leave at, at the right time. Needed to hand off like student ministry to somebody because you don't just hand off a student ministry to somebody who doesn't want it. Um, so I leave like pastoring in a student ministry and then a young adult ministry, go into River. And when River began, um, it was on the back of a couple of different like prophetic words, all these kind of things that the Lord was speaking into my heart again. Today's not really the time to like go into much of that. But when River began, one of the things that the Lord was so clear about was, and I mean, the first time I heard it, I was like, man, I, I really need to practice hearing the voice of the Lord because that surely can't be it. I remember he like told me so clearly, like just gave me this deep sense and it just kept coming up in my heart over and over and over and over again for about a week straight. Invite no one. And I was like, all right, you know, like, I mean, I really wasn't, Alden and I, he was the pastor I was submitted to at that time. He was the, he was the one who shepherded my soul at, at, at the Columbia campus. We had had this conversation where I, what I had seen happen with a lot of like church uh, plants, especially in the same region, was that person A goes and plants a church over here. And then everybody who's disgruntled at the church that they were at goes over there, which is a lot of people usually people have opinions me too right and then what happens is you go and tr plant the church over here and everybody disgruntled you have like this open door for everybody and so person a who plants a church has these like vision nights and everybody who's disgruntled comes and they come around for maybe a two or three months but then they find out that that person a is not jesus in the flesh and they have flaws too and then they find out things that they don't want there and then it just becomes this weird like game of like church hopping. And I just, before the Lord had even spoken to me about not inviting, I wanted to plant a church in integrity for the glory of God only, not so that people would come. And so we just didn't invite people for a period of time. That definitely came with its fair bit of misunderstandings and accusations. And that's just part of it. When you hear the voice of the Lord, when you, when he calls you to something, it really doesn't matter what anybody else has to say about it. It's just, he, he said, don't invite anybody. And I was like, for how long? He was like, just don't invite anybody. So that meant until he says otherwise. And so the Lord told people, I remember Josh Hanna, he's not here today. Lord bless him and his family. They got some kind of bug. But I remember like a year before, I didn't even know River was starting. <laughs> 
a year before River started, and we're at like some worship night, and Josh Hanna comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, the Lord just told me whenever you go do what you do, we're going to come with you. And I was like, I don't know who you are, and what is that? <laughs> and, you know, again, you guys know Josh Hanna will just come up. He kind of like, like, you know, whenever the Lord tells you what he's gonna, you're going to do, we're just going to come with you. And I'm like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> a year goes by, and, like, sure enough, like, I'm stepping into this next season of life. And then the Lord speaks to a few people. And that's how we stepped into River. That happens for a couple of years. And then how many of you guys were here uh, the Lord brought like basically in like two separate waves people into our family, which is kind of how we like, I mean, I know people have come in in different ways and it's beautiful, thankful for all of it. And honestly, uh, the fear of the Lord hits me when people come in. So I, it's kind of weird for me to say, I'm thankful you're here because that puts like, it's like, no, I want to serve you the best I can. We're not, I'm not, you're not like doing something for me by being here. It's like, when you come, I'm like, gosh, we got to figure it out, boys. We got to figure out how to serve them. You know, families, we got to figure out how to serve them. So it's less like, thanks for being here. It's more like, thanks for making my job harder, you know. And um, so we, you know, first couple of years in that place. uh, And it was beautiful for a thousand reasons. Again, I could just go off and testify about a a million things. And then how many of you guys were here when Ken preached and shared a word? Yep. Okay. A few of you guys are you just not raising your hand, all right? <laughs> I know, sometimes the raise, we do the raising hand thing a lot, so it's fun to stay engaged, you know? Um, so Ken preaches a word, and, you know, I didn't know half of what, I knew what some of Ken was going to preach because, you know, he's a spiritual father in my life. He shared a lot of those prophetic words, and I've heard them, but I had zero clue about the fact that we were stepping into a new season where we're going to be coming out into the open more. I was like, news to me, thank you God for telling me too. So that's where we are. And there's an open door in front of us. And I just want to like very clearly announce, very clearly uh, remind us that where we are now is a place where there is an open door in front of us. And he is not just like wanting for us to wait and see who comes to know Jesus. It's not about, by the way, it's not about people coming to river. People will come to river because hopefully because of his presence being here. And if his presence is here, they will come. But it's not about people coming to a church. It's about, a, it's about you and I stepping through an open door to go to them to tell them about Jesus. One of the things that was so fundamental to those first couple of years and that we'll have to come back to over and over and over and over and over again was when the Lord like put this very clear, don't invite anybody on my heart. He said, your house needs to be about this one thing for a very long time. If not forever, it needs to be about people coming in on your homes before the house and that has to be the general rhythm of how things go. In other words, I need to be willing to like meet people that I'm wanting to tell about Jesus, share the gospel of the good news of Jesus with, the, the glory of Jesus with. I want them in on my homes before I just give them a default invite into a gathering on a Sunday. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying come to a gathering. I did that this week. I was on a group text with a bunch of people I didn't know. So I was like, good chance to tell people about Jesus. So... <laughs> Told him about Jesus. It was some like alumni game. I was like, here we go. You know, I don't I have Matthew sent it to me. I was like, got none of these numbers. I can't go to the alumni game, so why not tell them about River and Jesus? <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was, and so, but like, it's, I'm not saying it's wrong to invite people to church. I just, it's so important that we have a heart that is pure about wanting people to know Jesus. And you understand that it's not one pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. Jesus says, whole of Philadelphia church, I've put an open door in front of you. It's a Christian's job. It's a saint's job. By the way, it's not even a, I I don't even, I know we don't consider it a job. It's a blessing. It's an honor. It's an absolute, don't let that language become something you're like, ooh, blessing and honor. Yeah, whatever. No, it's like, seriously, it is a blessing and an honor to be a saint of the most high. He's put his word in your mouth. 
The only hope for all mankind is the presence and glory and sacrifice of Jesus. And he's put that in your mouth and my mouth. It's amazing. You don't know how to say that? Just open your Bible and say what they said. It's things like the time is fulfilled. Kingdom of heaven's at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But he says, I put an open door in front of you. And I just, I want to remind us not only of Ken's word, but more specifically of what the Spirit's speaking to us in these next seven years, which are a season of preparation, but that the door is open and we're to go out and share the good news of Jesus. I want to talk about sharing that a little bit. Um, Paul used this language, by the way, if you go read in like Corinthians and Colossians, he would talk about his missionary journeys as like the Lord opened a door to us in Colossa or you know, wherever he was planning with his uh, fellow servants of where to go next to go preach the gospel. They would pray, the spirit would reveal, they would go. <clears throat> In Mark, uh, by the way, Jesus was like sending out the 12. And I just want you to notice, because sometimes... Uh, when, when we're maybe like a little bit immature in our faith or we're young in our faith and we don't really know the word very well, like the general uh, scope of the word that like from the beginning, this is about co-laboring with God. This is about working with God. From the beginning, this isn't about like necessarily my needs getting met. They do get met because he's merciful and kind. They get met in some and plenty. But from the beginning, the message of Jesus is about co-laboring with God. Sometimes when, when we don't know that, we can kind of get stuck in this like a uh, young, uh, slightly immature mindset that I just want to be with God. 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 And that's good that you want to be with God. But I just, Jesus's understanding of being with him is different a lot of times than our understanding of being with him. A lot of times like our understanding of being with someone is like, I want to do what I want to do when I'm with you. That's called selfishness. Maybe. Sorry to put it that plainly. But Jesus's like idea of us being together is because he's Lord and because he's not just a pal. It's like me saying I want to be with him is like me saying, God, my agenda gone. I submit to you. That's like the idea of being with him. Let me just mark three. He says this. He appointed the 12 that he might be with them and he might send them out to preach. Okay, it's not he appointed the 12 to just be with him. And this is the call of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. They, were, they had a nature just like yours. What's happening is now by the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus is in this room. It fills people and it's just in this room. When we call for it to come, it's here. Some people are dead to it. Some people are alive to it. Some people are gripped by it. But the Holy Spirit is here. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And he's here and he's training you and I up in the word and he's sending us out. Um, I want you to see what qualifications, or not even qualifications, but reasons for sending the Philadelphia church out, Jesus had. He says, I put an open door before you. You have a little strength. You've kept my word and you've not denied my name. I just think that's beautiful. It's like, okay, I'm sending you out. You guys are like God's gift to the earth. No, not really. <laughs> now you are because of me, but like really you're just a group of people. And you have a little bit of strength. <laughs> I think that's funny that he just says, like, you guys tell me, you got that word strength is power, it's dunamis. It's another word that describes the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God amongst and in the people. So he says, you guys got a little bit of that. Just in case you, you know, some of you guys think, well, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like, 
I don't have that much power yet. Like when I open my mouth to talk about Jesus, like, you know, I tried to share the gospel the other day at the coffee shop and they just looked at me like I was weird. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> that happens, you know? It's like, how would you like somebody to come up to you randomly and talk to you about somebody that you don't believe in? You're probably going to be freaked out a little bit, like, whatever. But like this idea that you have to be like walking on water and like, you know, just walking down the street, zap, demon, zap, demon, zap, is like not it. It's like you have a little bit of power. Because you believe you do. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel like it. Well, he said you do. You got a little bit of power. You've kept my word. You've kept my message. That word is, you know, yes, keep your Bible. But like that word is, he's not saying you've kept my Bible. There was no Bible at the time he said this. He's saying you've kept my message. The message is summarized by the gospel writers in a couple of different ways. But the, 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 in all four of your gospels, they essentially summarize his message as repent, believe in the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is here. That's his message. I just, the last thing that he says that they, they have is that they've not denied his name. So they've got his power, his word, and his name. I don't need anything other than that to start going out in his name. Not a single thing. It's exciting. To, to me. The Holy Spirit uh, clothes us indeed in power to live like him. Do what he did. I want to I mention too that our aim as servants is to be faithful. Our aim as servants isn't to be uh, successful in the sense of like, you know, uh, hey, Matt, where's your, how many people got healed this week? All right, you're not doing it yet. Uh, Colton, how many people got a demon cast out of them? Oh, you're not doing it yet. It's not like, we're not like comparing data. Does that make sense? What we are trying to be and what we are called to be as servants of the Lord. How many of you guys say you serve the Lord Jesus with your entire life? Okay, so we're all, our, our aim, according to him, is to be faithful. Um, I want to just like clarify, faithful to what though? Faithful to, first and foremost, him. Luke 10, there's this beautiful story where Mary and Martha are like both trying to figure out how to serve the Lord, basically. They both got a heart to serve the Lord. Martha starts doing a bunch of things. Mary sits at his feet, right? And Jesus says, look, she's chosen the good portion, the one thing that won't be taken from her. Now, if we hear that again with immature eyes, it's like, or immature ears, we're like, okay, only thing I ever have to do is sit at his feet. And then we forget that Mary laid her whole life down for him. She poured out like all of her money for him. She followed him physically, you know, like I, sometimes when we read the scriptures, you just, it's, it's easy to read them and be like, oh, that's a good story. And you forget Mary was a woman who had seven demons cast out of her and he changed her life and she stopped living life her way and literally physically followed him into all the settings. So there's so much early church literature about Mary specifically and some of the other women who followed Jesus that says a lot of what they did would they would go to surrounding regions and they would ask people for money so that Jesus's ministry could be funded. They would go and they would prepare places that Jesus and his disciples were going to stay. They would take care of the servants of Jesus when they were sent out. There was like rumored that Paul and Paul's spiritual son, they knew some of the women that, Jesus, that followed Jesus and those women took care of them as they were getting beaten and threatened to be killed. So these, these, they changed, their life changed. And so Mary absolutely sitting at his feet, but Mary laying her life down. So we're faithful first and foremost to him. 
We're not faithful to our friends. We're not faithful to like mom and dad who follow Jesus or your favorite leader or your most respected leader. We're faithful to him. Second thing we're faithful to is his commands and his commission. Do you know he's given us very clear instruction on what to do? Um, Matthew 28, I mean, says it the most simply. He says it in a lot of different ways. But in Matthew 28, it says it the most simply. It just says, hey, I'm the one who has all authority. I now give that authority to you to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So in other words, go out, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, and then teach them to observe everything I've commanded. That means everything. From turn your other cheek to heal the sick to this is the one thing that matters, teach them everything. So very clear commission, yeah? He wasn't talking to a group of pastors. He's talking to people who've laid down their life for him because of what, they, what he had done for them, who he was more specifically. At that point, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. Last thing we're being faithful to, uh, in this order, but the order of this is so important. So faithful to him from there, we're faithful to his commands or his commissions. And then we're faithful to the gifts, ministry, and works he has prepared for us. Um, there is this like spirit of entitlement that likes to creep into like, you know, the Western church. By the way, we're, the goal is not to be, when I, when I reference, a lot of times in our teachings, we'll reference like um, trying to reframe our perspective from like a Western way of thinking because there might, might, be, might be some issues in those. The only reason we do that is not to demonize a Western way of thinking. There's a lot of really good things to the Western way of thinking. It's not so that we would all become more Eastern in thinking. It's that we would see the scriptures and those commands the right way and the way that they were intended to be looked at. But it's not like the cool thing to start ragging on Western things. Does that make sense? Um, but, it, but again, it is important to point out, like, especially when we talk about something like gifts. Like our Western view of gift is very different than when Jesus and his disciples and the kingdom of heaven talks about Gifts. Gifts are given with the expectation of reciprocity, with the expectation of you doing something with them. Um, which, you know, in some degree is like kind of not different than us, but like a lot of like, there's like this kind of this entitlement with followers of Jesus where it's like, okay, like I, yes and amen, he saved me from the pit. I belong to him and now I'm like going to heaven and now I'm just going to kind of live life my way. And then if I get some like really amazing word, I'm going to go do something crazy for him. That's like just not the posture of him being Lord of your life. That's, that's just not it at all. Or, you know, I, I, I'm just trying to figure me out for a little bit. And one day when I got a wife and kids and, you know, they're sleeping, which is a myth too. And that's like, you know, I get like all over here and, the, and they're like not having any behavior issues. Then we'll be good and I'll get it all figured out. And then, then be turned, you, you're like turned 60 by then. And then your life's almost over, not almost over, but, you know, maybe, maybe, truthfully, maybe. Maybe just beginning. Maybe you got another 40 on you or 50 or 60, whatever. But like this posture of like, I'm like, the, the work and the work of ministry is on my terms is not a, a reflection of a posture of heart that says Jesus is Lord. The reflection of a posture of heart that says Jesus is Lord is like, Lord, here is my life. I lay it down. Anything you want in it to go, I'm, it's good. Just tell me how to serve you. 
what gifts have you given me? How does he speak about what gifts he's given you? Through the word, very clearly. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, very clear gifts. You get under some leadership in our house. They will very clearly, Joseph and Wesley and Kendall and Nikki were like leading their house church through this beautifully over the past month. And when like, we just have gifts that he gives us. Not, not so that you can have like, you know, status star next to your name. But like you have a gift for the purpose of edifying the body, for serving. Yeah. Um, the way that Paul uh, and the apostles talked about ministry was there's a ministry for you to fulfill. This is like, you talk about that now and be like, oh, it's, so, like it's so much pressure. That's so <laughs> condemning. It's like, no, it's not. It's like, that's so exciting. There's a ministry for, like, think about the fact that the father for Caris, before she even knew who Jesus was, before she had any care in the world for him, when she was dead in sin, living in rebellion to God, before she even knew him, he had works prepared for her. Things that she was going to play a part in the kingdom so that people would know Jesus, people would experience Jesus, people would be loved by God. She, he had works prepared for her. It was beautiful. That does nothing but stir my heart for the fact that he loves me, that he cares for me, that he thinks about me. But at the end of the day, like it is about me laying my life down to him. So we're faithful to the gifts, ministry and works he's prepared for us. Look, I am all for what people tend to call like these prophetic environments. If somebody came to our church, they probably call it like I was in a coffee shop the other day. I'll get to this conversation here in a moment. But I was in a coffee shop and some girl out of nowhere was like, you know, grilling me about our church. And I didn't even know, I don't know what happened, but she knew that we had a church, Jay and I, and she was asking about it. She's like, you know, well, what denomination are you? And we de technically in our house don't have an official denomination right now. We would be what's considered non-denominational. But if somebody came in, they'd probably say we're like charismatic or Pentecostal. And in a charismatic or Pentecostal environment, a lot of people get really excited as they ought to about speaking the prophetic word of God over people's lives. Like prophesying things like, Carmen, you're going to preach the gospel to the nations. The Lord's put his word in your mouth. You get excited about that, as they should. That is amazing to think about Carmen telling a Scandinavian person or Norwegian person who is living dead in sin about Jesus. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing that they would hear the gospel. Wow. But here's what ends up happening is that starts to just be treated frivolously and like, yeah, go do that and go do that. And there's like, no, like that's scary, Carmen. And we're here to help you with it. <laughs> we'll talk to you about that. I'm, Katie and I were talking about this week. We're going to come alongside you in that. And, you know, there's like equipping to be done. That's like my, my and our responsibility. But it's like, it's like both beautiful and scary. It's like there's these works, this ministry. Some of you might like wonder like, well, what's mine? Start asking him. Just literally ask him and he'll tell you. I promise you. You're like, well, I asked him and I didn't really hear anything. Just keep asking. I would think I was just like, I'm, by no means have I followed Jesus perfectly. Good Lord, I have not. But like one of the things that I was just naive enough to believe when I started following Jesus because I didn't have any church background was that Jesus wanted to use me. I was like, all right. So just go start preaching the gospel the best I could in different ways. Um, but our aim to be is, is to be faithful, faithful first to him, then to his commands and his commission. Very clear instruction, what we're trying to do. We're not trying to create like a new way, the new cool way of doing something. It's like he's told us how to go about these things. Get hungry for his word and learn it, you know. The gifts and ministry and works he has prepared for us. Um, I just, 
part of the Holy Spirit, like raising our uh, view, our perspective is I know some of you guys came from environments where like you now have like a stiff arm to the word ministry. Like you treat it as like this like thing that like, you know, that's just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to preach the gospel with my life, brother. And it's like, okay, well, that's awesome. You're called to do ministry. And I get why that was weird for some of us. Maybe you had an idol of ministry in a past season. It's time to just put that away and just understand that there is a, there is a ministry that God has placed on all of your lives, works that he has for you to do. And we got to get hungry for his word, hungry for his presence and, learn, and learning how, hungry to get under leadership, to be shepherded into how we live in that day to day. And it actually lasts. There's an open door in front of us. I just... Don't hear what I'm saying as much as you hear like Jesus saying there is an open door in front of you. An open door in front of you is him telling you that you are his chosen people, his royal priesthood, the ones that carry his name, carry his glory to go out. And it absolutely will change and ruin our lives continually. He goes on to say basically that something stands in their way and I think it will stand in everybody's way in every generation and that's a synagogue of Satan, which in a literal sense uh, simply means those who accuse you. Um, I want to tell you about this scenario recently, a little bit of a story and I don't, I, I like hesitated even to like share this but I felt like it was important um, and I think you'll see why. The other day, sitting at a coffee shop, drip, because Drip's the best one in Columbia. And I'm sitting there at Drip and uh, reading the Bible, talking to Jay. Jay sits down and he's, you know, just, you know, bebopping around full of joy. Like, it's just like, man, just full of Jesus, seriously. And so we're like talking about the Lord a little bit. And I had like mentioned something about uh, something I was reading that I thought was funny. And you know, when you like walk into a coffee shop and you can like tell someone's like staring at you. It's like, do I know this person? Do they know me? Do I need to like make my, like an introduction to like break this weird ice? And it's like, I just decided maybe this is what, not what I should have done, but I was like, I'm just going to ignore it. So I went and sat at the other day, end of the like coffee shop and sit down and um, she comes and sits right next to us. And I was like, well, this is getting more awkward. And so Jay and I start talking and she just kind of like jumps in the conversation like she knows us. And I'm like, oh. All right. You know, she's like talking about the Bible with us and she starts asking me questions about what I do. I sound like I'm a pastor. She's like, oh, you're a pastor of what church? Tell her what church. And, you know, this is where what I was referencing earlier. I tell her like it's a uh, she asked what denomination say non-denominational. And she goes, um, oh, those non-denominational pastors, you know, they thrive. No accountability. And I was like, all right. Yeah, I'm sure they might. They might do that. And so we just I try to roll with it, you know, because I mean, she could she could say whatever she wants, you know. And so we're talking a little bit more. And then um, she basically was like, so you're a pastor. And I was like, yeah. She's like, have you gone to seminary? And I was like, no, I, but I do plan to like study the word for the rest of my life. Like I'm, I love it. Love, you know, what seminary offers people. But I just haven't felt like the Lord's called me to do that. I want to study the word like of my own accord in some sense. And she was like, you're a pastor with no seminary train. You better get on that, buddy. And she just walks away. And I was like, I mean, she's not wrong. Most people, that's 100% true. And the reason I tell you this is because if that interaction provokes me to anger and bitterness towards her, that reveals something about me and my heart, not her. And I want you to, I want you to understand, some of you guys haven't had to experience much opposition, much accusation. If you go into an open door, you will experience accusation from everyone from your mother, friend, best friend, 
random person who I think knew me. I don't know. Maybe she just has a prophetic word. And I would love to, if it's the Lord talking, she needs to tell me so I could do what she was saying. But I, I just, this like, this accusation, this synagogue of Satan is what Jesus says. He calls it a synagogue of Satan. Now we can get like, kind of like caught up in the language there. And he's literally just saying this company of people who accuse you. I, Jesus in Matthew 10 just so you know that this isn't like, um, it's so important that you know and consider the cost of following Jesus, that there is no such thing as somebody who follows Jesus who, doesn't get a, who, doesn't get a, who does not get accused. No such thing. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. This is in Matthew 10. You don't have to flip there, but this is when Jesus is sending out uh, 70. He says, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, which Beelzebub means prince of demons, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will, be, will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Again, when the accusation of others provokes me out of living like Jesus, it says more about the state of my soul than it does the accuser. Just think about Jesus, how often he got accused. I mean, he's perfect. I'm not. I, like, sometimes somebody needs to say something to me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even perfect. He's perfect. People are accusing him, and it doesn't move him. This is going to be really important uh, for us to steward well the message of Jesus. This is another one of the many things that gets like derailed is you start to like, like this, this young lady at the coffee shop that had something to say, you start to rise up in bitterness towards people like that. And it's not even about like, I hope I get to meet her again. And I'm sure she loves the Lord and you know, who knows, but it's about like me letting my heart get out of first love. And this is what happens over time is you start to experience accusation after you start to actually go out like Jesus and carry his presence into places that's going to bring about opposition. And then when that opposition comes, how you interact with that over a span of years, maybe not the first or second time, but over a span of years, it will wage war against your soul and the enemy will take you captive to self-righteousness. And you'll start walking around and be like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And it's like, maybe she's just trying to help people because she's seen some churches, you know, really steward things poorly and she's not, hold, not that wrong. That's the, that's the posture that we're to have. And that's the posture that as we go into this, like when Jesus is talking about like, I, you know, the synagogue of Satan, I'm gonna make them come and worship at your feet. And all they're gonna know is that I loved you. It's easy to read that. Like he's gonna like show them really that you guys really got it going on. But I just want you to get that picture there in your mind. He's using a very clear word picture that he's like, no, 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 please understand that the only thing that makes you who you are, the only thing that has equipped you, the only thing that has given you this power, the only thing that has given you this purity of heart is the fact that I have loved you. If it wasn't for me loving you, yes, you've opened your heart to it, but the fact that I have loved you is what created this whole thing. It's just a beautiful place of humility to live. And then you actually, you don't have to try to not see yourself different than somebody who accuses or opposes you or the message of Jesus. You just actually know that you're not that different. Two people being loved by God. He goes on and, um, by the way, I just, I think it would be amazing for people to know, there would be no way of ever measuring this or ever really getting too uh, preoccupied with this, but I think it would be amazing if, Everybody who knew about River, like the first thing that they, like your family members, friends who don't come to River, the only thing that they really knew and that they could really come to a conclusion about is the fact that Jesus loves us. That would be amazing. 
Any kind of pride of like, oh, they do it the right way. Nope. Don't want that. Oh, they're the real thing. Don't want that. That's going to be a temptation for us because we do steward his word, I think, fairly well. And by all means, we intend to. But it's going to be a temptation for us to be seen as some kind of people who do it the right way. And I just, you need to arrest that in your heart. We're just people he's loved. And I know that sometimes that can sound really, like when you say that, it can feel like almost disingenuine. But it, in the simplest matter of fact in the scriptures, that is just the truth. <laughs> We're just people he's loved. All right. He goes on to say, because you've kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That word persevere is used a lot in scriptures and in the New Testament letters. And it just means steadfast endurance. It's the power to withstand hardship or stress, especially the inward fortitude necessary. The inner strength, basically, to continue in the faith. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you have, like, in humility accepted this yet. But if not, I would encourage you to. That, like, what we believe is pretty foolish and ridiculous. And it takes like a lot of inward strength. It's, it's both like the most duh, he loves us, he's given his life for us, and also the most ridiculous thing to believe. That a man 2,000 years ago gave his life for us, sent his spirit to us, and now we have fellowship with him whom we don't see, but in our hearts we do see. Like Paul talked about, it's like foolishness to those who are perishing. perishing. Rightfully so, it makes no actual logical sense. But I, I think that like... A lot of times we, we like might maybe try to like step into this place, if not given permission from fathers and spiritual fathers and mothers, if not given permission to just like not act. You kind of step into this place where you act like you just believe all the time. And you're like, no, nah, nah, it's all good. Jesus is king. And it's like, yeah, that's awesome. But also what you believe is ridiculous. And the times in your heart where it's hard to believe, those are actually the most precious to go deeper into belief with him. The way that that worked for Thomas was, again, like, show me your hands. Show me your, show me your scars. And Jesus welcomes that kind of interaction, not from a skeptical heart, but from a place where it's like, no, I really, I want to be helped. There's other places in the scriptures, you know them, like, help my unbelief. Like a true, honest heart. This is, that's what I think part of what perseverance is. It's like giving up the act to like pretend. Legalism is best described as a group of hypocrites. Hypocrite doesn't mean people who don't keep their word. It means people who act in the scriptures. And so, you know, absolutely live firm in the truth, but understand that like it is so important that we learn how to persevere and that we have, like, I think one of the most beautiful things right now uh, happening in our midst is the fact that there are like multiple shepherds intimately involved. For those of you, how many of you guys are in house churches? Beautiful. If you've been coming to River for a little while and not in a house church, would really love, that's the way we like uh, disciple, care for, shepherd people, be the best thing for your soul, but it's the, in order to best serve you, it's gonna be the best way to go about that. But you, those of you who are in these house churches that meet on a Wednesday and you're under the leadership of our house, actively submitted to the leadership of our house and the different pastors in our house, like the, the relationships there, that's where this like safety has to be created, where you give up the performing, give up any kind of trying to like act like you're always in this like place of firm belief. If you are, praise God. I mean, that's awesome. I'm not discounting that, but like where we actually dig into like, no, what do you really believe? Not what do you think you should believe? One of the first and only questions you talk about those first couple of years of river, 
It was just, do you believe in Jesus? And it was, you know, first couple of times we talk about it, it's like, yeah, of course I do. And then we actually talk, do you, do you believe in Jesus? And it's like, I don't know if I do actually, according to the word. I don't, I don't know. It wasn't because it was like, no, like trying to get somebody to question it. It's like, according to the word, I can't just say I believe in Jesus. And so then we have to have humility to say like, you know what? Some of my heart is like drowning in unbelief because of something back here that happened, this disappointment back here. I don't get all this stuff. And that's where there's humility. That's where this paradox of being firm in the truth and living in absolutely no pretense finds its, finds its place. The hour of trial, the hour of judgment, different ways, the day of the Lord, the parousia, there's different ways that the scriptures talk about this is coming on the earth. It comes upon those who live under the rule and reign of Babylon, as we talked about last week so clearly. I want you to see how Peter talked about this trial. The word that Jesus, is, Jesus uses and many of the disciples use to talk about a trial or a testing is a word that uh, basically just speaks to the fact that something comes to test or examine the nature of something. So his trial is at its core for our good. His testing is for our good. That it would come and it would ascertain the real nature of what is on the inside is genuine faith. Genuine, simple trust. But what it will also do, because it's holy and fire and powerful and cannot lie, is it will, it will reveal what is really on the inside. Here's how Peter, his encouragement to the church in you know, his day, went with this. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Basically, people were getting preoccupied with when the day of the Lord was, and he was like... First, remember that we're not going to know. Number two, it doesn't really matter. What matters is our posture towards the day of the Lord, this trial, this judgment that's going to come on the whole earth. He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. It's amazing. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness or is not slow concerning his promise, his promise of his coming. But his long suffering but is long-suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away. Peter's just like, Jesus said it's gonna come this way, like a thief in the night. We're not gonna know the hour or the day, so don't worry about trying to predict it. If you ever hear somebody trying to predict it, just don't listen to them. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements, by the way, the heavens passing away with a great noise, that just means the skies will pass away with a great noise and the elements, that means the earth will melt with fervent heat. That is terrifying and wild and true. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So in other words, because that's gonna happen, you should act like this. You should be like this. You should live like this. Operate in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God. Hastening means like welcoming. Uh, and another way to say that is like trying to get it to come, not by talking about how evil the world is, but by longing for God. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. <clears throat> Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, looking forward to these things, be diligent. That means strive. Spadalzo literally means strive and make every effort. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. 
he goes on in Revelation, back in Revelation 3 to say, behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. <laughs> um, his I am coming quickly can be translated as soon, which is Jesus's language for when he's coming soon. And it's been that way for a while. And it just is still that way. It's just, behold, I'm coming soon. Um, in all seriousness, though, if you read the beginning of uh, the Gospel of Luke, there's a, there's a man in Luke 2 named Simeon. And Simeon, uh, there's this little short account of his life and how he, you know, when Jesus was born, up until that point for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah to come. They had been taken captive by Babylon. They had lost their temple, their tabernacle, their land, all these prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They were talking about a prophet or a Messiah to come. So all these people for generations, for hundreds of years waiting for the Messiah to come. Simeon gets a word from the Lord, basically, that this little baby that has been born to Joseph and Mary is the Messiah. And and Simeon just starts prophesying about how he's the Messiah. And so in the same way that Simeon and the generations before him were longing for the coming of the Messiah, we now long for the second coming of the Messiah. Uh, Hebrews talks about uh, the fact that Jesus has appeared once, the Christ has come once for sin, and he'll appear a second time for salvation. He's appeared once for the sins of the world, in other words, to offer forgiveness, so that all would become under the power of Jesus and out from under the power of sin. And he's going to appear a second time for salvation, which means that he comes and reigns on the earth and we get taken with him or come down with him. Let's read this. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. He goes on to say, I I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Gosh. So he who overcomes, he who overcomes, the promise is for those who overcome. Not for those who have prayed a prayer, not for those who have good intentions. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Uh, That just means a strong one in the house of my God. And he shall go out no more. I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of my, of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I'll write on him my new name. Um, The new Jerusalem, I just want to briefly speak to, you know, we look forward to a city that is to come. Like, One of, the, one of the most fundamental, beautiful, absolutely life-changing realities about following Jesus. When he, when he saved me, when he rescued me from sin, I went from being a citizen of darkness, of the kingdom of darkness, like a very real kingdom of darkness that I had a stake in, that I was a citizen of. I went from being under that Lord and ruler and I became a citizen of heaven a very real citizen with very real responsibilities, with a very real king, with a very real Lord. And this, this understanding that his new Jerusalem, his new creation is going to come down. Like we now dwell with God in the spirit. So it just gets so fascinating is we now dwell with God in the spirit. And it is a now and not yet time where he has come and he will come again. 
And when he comes again, he comes down out of the clouds with this new Jerusalem, this new city that will spread into the world, into the earth and fill it with his glory. Let's just read this together. John in Revelation 21, you can flip there if you want. I'm sure it'll be up on the screen for you as well. So, so important to apprehend, like just trying to understand everything about the kingdom and by like, not out of like, uh, silly like dogmatism and just like blind ignorance, but out of like sincere faith in God, like trust his word, trust the way that he's designed all of his gospel to just play out. Listen to this vision that John had. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So he's picking up Isaiah 65 and 66, by the way. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. That means the first sky and the first earth had passed away. <laughs> what Peter was just talking about. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. That's, you and I are that heavenly city and that bride. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. This is so important. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Later on in Revelation 21, in verses 22 and 23, he says, but I saw no temple in it. John makes a point, makes a very clear point to say, but I saw absolutely no temple in it. There was no big tabernacle structure where the presence of God was dwelling there and man had to come into it. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. Man. So the only proper response we would find is later on in Revelation 22 verse 17. The spirit and the bride both say come. This was an Aramaic term that we've talked about before called Maranatha or, or an Aramaic term, Maranatha. And it literally just means he has come, he is come, he will come again. And it's the way that we are to like posture ourselves in light of this new reality that the new heavens, the new earth is in the midst of being created. God's tabernacle is with us. That means he may, wants to make his home in us. Um, when he says, I write my name on them, on my servants. Uh, back then, and still to some degree today, writing your name on something like signified ownership. <clears throat> so, you know, you sign papers for like a house that you buy or something like that. But like, this was like very much more um, like almost revered, like to write your name on something would be like, oh my gosh. That's the... And so when he's saying he writes his name on us, it means that he says he has ownership of us. Um, one of the things I want us to like, before we take communion and, and, and kind of the invitation for a, a bit of time, and honestly, uh, I would like for us to just sing for a little bit here in a moment, um, is to just let the Lord have ownership of us again. If this like, if this, if the truth of the gospel is real to us, if he is Lord of our life, King of our life, King of this whole entire universe, and our faith is put in him, our trust is put in him to give him the rightful seat of ownership again. This is the promise is that not that I get like some status is, but that he owns me. It's the best promise ever. Um, the, the new Jerusalem, this new city, this is so important, um, is both a present reality and a future reality. Meaning like it's going to, it's going to happen. It's like that's literally going to happen. And I'll be either, either alive when it happens to watch the new Jerusalem come out of the sky because I believe in Jesus, or I will be asleep in Jesus coming out of the sky with him. All of you who believe that's your destiny. If you continue to believe that is your destiny. 
For those who don't believe, it'll be a day of sorrow. And, but what's so beautiful about this is that I, according to the scriptures in different ways, and we don't have time to go through all of them, but this, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Uh, behold, all things are new. The new creation is here. He's made it new. For Paul and the apostles, the new creation began at the resurrection of Jesus. The new creation doesn't begin on that day. And so it's like, it's, it's both happened and will happen. And it fills us with this reverence and this holiness of, oh my gosh, it's in our midst. It's the kingdom of heaven is in our midst. For those who perceive it, for those who hear it, for those who can see it, for those who thirst for it, it's in your midst. The new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. Um, he appears and he returns. I can long for his appearing and I can hasten his return. I really believe that with all my heart, that I can, I can live in a way where I absolutely long for his appearing. What do I mean by his appearing? I mean, we're in a room together and, and I like, man, I cannot tell you how much I just so absolutely despise and loathe any kind of notion of getting in some kind of Christian routine just to do things. I long for his appearing. And if that's not why you show up on a Sunday, I just want to encourage you to repent and just come into this place longing for him to appear. You're like, that's ridiculous. Absolutely. It's amazing. And it happens. He appears and he knocks people out in their glory. He heals people. He rescues people from sin. Like if we're not longing for that, what are we doing? We've got nothing new. We're longing for his appearing. And all of this are things that minister to his heart, that satisfy and please and, 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 and really honor his heart when we teach the word and preach the word. But we can live in a way, not just on a Sunday. Um, I would take that back even more. Like a lot of times this will feel like an act, like you longing for his appearing on a Sunday or in a gathering because in your own life, there's no longing for his appearing. I mean, like, just think about how amazing your life would be if you longed for his appearing. It would be full, no doubt. And it would be so not what you think it would be, but it would be amazing. If you like woke up longing for him to show himself to you and the people around you every day. Longing. What does longing mean? It means like literally groaning, intensely, absolutely full of hunger going after it. Longing for his appearing doesn't mean like, wonder if he'll show up today. Poor old me, haven't gotten a word from God recently. It's like, no, no, no. Waking up longing. He fills those who are hungry. Hungry. The promise in, in Revelation 22 is for anybody who thirsts. In other words, if you don't thirst, it's not coming to you. Not because he doesn't want to, but because he can't. He doesn't force himself in. It's so beautiful. But this coming of the Lord, it's the word parousia, and it can literally mean the act of appearing in an event or place. Just shows up. I don't know. Have you ever been in a room? I hope if you've been coming to our church, you've witnessed this. Have you ever been in a room where it's like, oh, he came? Yeah. Like, you, there is no, it wasn't the song, it wasn't a preaching, it wasn't, it's just like he came. Have you ever in your own life, like, Mark, like just sitting, I mean, two weeks ago, I'm like sitting in the secret place, sitting with the Lord, and I'm just like, I'm just, I honestly, I'm just kind of like indifferent to some degree, but I'm like hungry. I don't know how both of those things could be true at the same time, but I could feel like some indifference and just like going through the motions. But I like felt this conviction to just be hungry for his presence. So just like start hungering. Weird to be in a room by yourself hungering for the Lord. And he just came and he just reminded me. I don't have time to tell you of all the things he reminded me of and showed me. I have a journal I could show you. I probably wouldn't show you because that's just me and him. But like, 
And maybe it'll be you one day, I don't know. But like, listen, he appears. We can long for his appearing. This is the proper posture is that I would long for his appearing. I would long for him to show up in every scenario and then I can hasten his return. Why would I not want to hasten his return? Yes, I want anybody and everybody to come to know him, but I want him to return to, in, to this earth so that I can have fellowship with him in person. <laughs> That's amazing because I want him. I enjoy him. I love him. Why would I not want him to come? 